All right, you are rocking with the best of Holy Ruckus podcast, episode number 79. I'm here, 79, with my guy, Father Pat, from the Catholic Student Center, not near me. What's no. up, Pat? I'm good, I'm good. I'm in sunny, happy uh, South Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I've got a few, a few days off and away from the parish uh, prior to my retreat. And so I'm hanging out with the, the Catholic students down here as they attend uh, 2021's virtual Seek conference. So I'm having a Shout blast. out. Shout out to Seek, to Focus is Seek 2021. We couldn't get an invite because apparently to be a sponsor, you have to pay like $2,000. And we don't have that. But anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Ladies and gentlemen, you are rocking with the best of Holy Ruckus podcast with our special guest, the author of The Church is Best Kept Secret, a primer on Catholic social teaching. Father Pat, you better get familiar with our guy, Mark Shea. We have him here, Mark P. Shea of markpichet.com and uh, of this awesome book and so many other titles. But first, we got to play that intro. Here we go. We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. Why were you made? I was made to be happy. The way to be happy is to know truth. Love goodness. In other words, I am made for God. Pero quiero lío en la dioses. Quiero que se salga afuera. You are now listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. All right, clap it up, clap it up, fake applause, but all the best here. We got Mark Shea. What's up, Mark? I'm good. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to meet, make your acquaintance. We've been yeah. emailing back nice and forth, you. Mark, and it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. And I love the artwork around you. Yes. Uh, we, we see a little bit. What'd you tell us about it? Granddaughters, man. I, I got them. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, so I, 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 we, we have, we have fun. Uh, we've, we've even contrived to have fun during pandemic. Yeah. absolutely so, so yes uh, me and me and father pat are happy to have you for my folks listening um and watching wherever you're watching and listening from let's go uh and give a little bio to our guy uh mark p Shea here and um so mark i'm reading straight out the book here's the book right here uh, awesome fresh nice this is, the, this is the book right mark the the, the very one that's right. This in fact, this... there are several copies of that out there, actually. Nice. And you can have one, too, folks. That's right. Yes. Should they order from Amazon or should they go straight to you? Oh, come to me. Go to markpshea.com. Uh, I will send you a signed copy. You can't get that from Amazon. There you go. That's way better than Amazon. But here we go, folks. So Mark is a popular Catholic writer and speaker. He's an author of numerous books, including By What Authority? An Evangelical Discoverers Catholic Tradition. And we're so excited to have him on with us. And so many titles. Is this how many? Have you written five books? How many have you done so far? Oh, uh, no. Closer to like 14 or 15 books. Yeah. I've either written or contributed to. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. And, and there we have it. There we have it. But like we do for all of our guests, uh, Mark, well, most of them, uh, we put them through the ringer of the Holy Ruckus and we give them a chance to kind of just off the, we, we call it as the kids say off the top of the dome. It's, it's, it's just the first thing that comes to your mind, a word association kind of thing, whatever you think is, uh, overrated or underrated. Okay. Properly rated. And okay. so let's begin the overrated, underrated, and we'll start with you here. Let me change the let me see. Whoa. We I like We're you. I like bouncing you like around. This. Oh, I like okay. You like this. This looks All great. Right. I see the artwork. I see okay. you. It's 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 beautiful. So okay. here we go. Underrated, overrated with Mark P. Shea. Let's okay. start with a little softball. All right. Here okay. we go. Right. Underrated or overrated. Catholic social teaching. Oh, way underrated. Under why is that? Uh, it's a crucial part of our faith that is uh, badly neglected for a lot of reasons. There you go. There you yeah. go. Very good. Very good. Uh, let's go, Pope Francis, and I'm sure he's watching. Oh, also underrated. I think he's a great pope. Mm. 
All right, all right. And let's go with the Eternal Word Television Network, EWTN. Oh, whoa. Uh, I don't know who's rating it. Uh, <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go with overrated overrated why is that uh well a lot of reasons it it i think it has too dominant an influence on uh catholic media it's kind of the 800 pound gorilla of catholic media in the united states and united states catholic media is the 800 pound gorilla of world media uh so i think that's a problem uh, i think that our our influence and our discourse on the rest of the world is already problematic it's just due to the fact that we're hugely rich and powerful that's really where it comes from wow. it's not because there's something special about the u.s church that makes it extra super spiritual it just has a ton of money and a huge microphone there you go. Wow. Dude, I'm, I'm going to like this already. I'm going to okay. like this conversation already. I love All it. Right. I love it. Let's, and then, okay, like a couple more, couple more here. I'm not going to let you off that easy. Okay. Uh, audiobooks. Well, given that the church's best kept secret has just been released on audiobook, read by me, uh, I got to say that uh, audiobooks is, uh, is a pretty great deal. And that's, by the way, not just because I just released an audiobook, it's also because. <laughs> I got a lot of people who don't have time to read books, but audiobooks makes it possible for you to listen while you're driving or, you know, doing your steps or whatever it is you do. So fan of audiobooks. There you go. There you go. Uh, COVID hobbies, hobbies during COVID times, overrated, underrated. And what did you do? Uh, I, I would say COVID hobbies are properly rated. If you like your COVID hobby, that's all that really matters. Uh, I don't need to judge you because you like to put <laughs> ships in bottles or, you know, bake stuff or do whatever thing you do during COVID. Uh, my own hobbies are pretty literally pedestrian. I walk. That's what I do during COVID is I get a lot of walks in. Uh, and that's, you know, fine by me. If you I don't like it. walking, do your other thing that you like to do. <laughs> that's so, what's up. And the murder mysteries too. So oh, uh, awesome. Any, any good authors that you recommend? Well, no, th these are evening, uh, television viewing murder mysteries. So we made our way through the entire castle series. That was enjoyable. And, uh, we're currently watching this, this Canadian series that no one in the U S has ever heard of that I know of called Murdoch Mysteries that features this sort of, uh, you know, very formal uh, young Catholic guy who works for the Toronto Constabulary in uh, like 1896. And wow. so they have these kind of standard murder mysteries, you know, where somebody turns up dead and he has to figure out who did it and why. Uh, but they like to bring in various uh, historical characters from the period. So we've met everybody from Tesla to Edison to H.G. Wells to Winston oh. Churchill, uh, because Canada is a part of the British Empire. So you're, you know, these people are showing up in Canada for various reasons. And and uh, but every once in a while, they bring in these like super weird stories that are like the X Files but steampunk set in 1896. So he has to figure out, you know, the UFO mystery or the, the giant killer robots from the military. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Going to war with Germany or something, you know? And uh, yeah, so that's pretty fun. Uh, and what are these called? What's this one called? It's called Murdoch Mysteries. You can see them on Hulu. Murdoch we Mysteries. Just, yeah, we just started watching them and we became addicted to them because they're just <laughs> so, you know, they, they just whips off from, okay, that was a pretty good mystery, to what did I just see? <laughs> Those are Pat's favorite. Those are Pat's oh, yeah. favorite. Yeah. So they, and it had, uh, so it had one about, 
it had one episode about the birth of the Canadian space program in 1900, where some guy invented some rocket that was going to take him to the moon. <laughs> it was just like, wow, that was unexpected. Yo, yeah. that's so, awesome. Uh, I, I yeah. think the extent of my murder mysteries goes, I would go to the library back, you know, pre COVID back when I was a, a younger buck than I am today. Uh, and, um, I was with my aunt and we would go to the library all the time and I just get lost in the library. And, um, and one of the things she told me about was like mystery novels of a cat and a cat would solve crimes or whatever. Or like, <laughs> and she was like all about it. She's like, Crime fighting cats. yeah, this, this cat that would lead everybody to the truth. And like, <laughs> it's just so wild. Yeah. What it's called, but there you, you know, go. I can, I can imagine like a dilettante cat doing that sort of thing just for its own amusement. I can never imagine any cat ever actually caring about anyone else ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. So it's like, it has to be for its own amusement because the idea that it cares about justice or wrongs done other <laughs> living things is beyond me for a cat. That's awesome. So Mark, would you say that. you're a dog person or a cat person? I actually, I like both cats and dogs. Uh, okay. I, I had a friend who was just undecided most of her life about the question of whether cats are super intelligent beings uh, sent here from another planet to observe our world, or if they're just stupid. <laughs> she could never make up her mind about that. So, awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. 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 And then, so yeah, so here we go, folks. And you did well. You did well on the segment, the underrated, oh, overrated. Hey. So I think you okay. passed. I think you passed. I think our listeners are properly disposed to enter in to a primer on Catholic social teaching by Mark right. Pichet. You're not going to give us a chapter. You're not going to give us the whole book because that's what you nope. got to get, folks. You're going to give right. us a little bit of background on, as to why. Like I always want to ask that question. Like why? why now? Like why now? Why not ten years ago? Like what what's so special about bringing this book that is I, I believe needed because when mm -hmm. I was in school uh, at Franciscan University one of my favorite classes and it was towards the end of my time at Franciscan University was uh, Catholic social teaching mm -hmm. and it was so exciting and accessible and so like wow like the church I, I believed and you could you know call me on it later but I was like I believe like the church had the had the right intention, like in, in the sense of, of, of what she has laid out in terms right. of how she should dialogue with the world, how she should right. answer. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why isn't this publicized more? Mm -hmm. And then I just became disenchanted and jaded. Cause later on I'm like, Oh, why isn't the church talking about this? Like it's, it's written, it's been mm -hmm. done. And so I guess my big question, Mark, uh, to start us off, why now, why write a book on Catholic social teaching? Okay. Uh, I I start the book by telling a little story about something that happened to me. I was asked to come to a parish and talk about Catholic social teaching. And uh, as I stood there at the podium, on, on one side of the room, there was the peace and justice group, right? And they were concerned about uh, the church's teaching with respect to our common life. So how are the poor cared for and uh, what do we do about issues like the environment and what do we do about things like public health and pandemic and how do we deal with climate change and how about a living wage and all of that. That was their thing. And on the other side of the room was the pro-life group. And they were primarily concerned about, they were concerned about abortion, they were concerned about euthanasia, they were concerned about what I call the pelvic issues. Uh, everything having to do with marriage and family and, and all of that. And those two groups, who were both expressions of Catholic social teaching, hated each other's guts. <laughs> and that's crazy. That is crazy. That should not be the case. They are both about something that the church teaches, and the church does not teach contradictory things. It teaches complementary things. And so we should be, as Catholics, we should be both and people, not either or people. 
And I wrote that book because we are living in a time where the American church in particular is split down the middle between the pro-life people who spend a great deal of time focusing on two of the four pillars of Catholic social teaching, the dignity of the human person and subsidiarity, both of which we'll talk about in a second. And the peace and justice guys are particularly focused on the common good and solidarity. And here's the thing about Catholic social teaching. Catholic social teaching is a throne that sits on four legs that are of equal length and equal strength. And if you, and if you saw off any one of those legs, and, and especially any two of those legs, you don't have a throne anymore. You've got nothing. You can't sit on that thing. It will fall over. And so the reason I wrote the book was to try to make the case, first of all, that you already know a lot of Catholic social teaching. You just don't know you know it. Uh, and the other problem that you're facing is that the church's social teaching is mediated to us not by the church, but by our favorite television programs, our favorite uh, news networks that tell us the th things that we want to hear about. Our, you know, some guy at the watering machine at the office who likes to hold forth on his views about whatever, you know, what Rush Limbaugh told him or what Rachel Maddow <laughs> told him. And, uh, and that's how we receive our information about how to order our common life. We don't receive it from the church. We receive it from uh, wherever, whatever sources that we listen to. And because of that, because we go to Catholic social teaching not to receive it whole and entire, but in order to cannibalize it so that we can accessorize our own political and cultural ideologies, nobody in the church knows Catholic social teaching because they're not listening to the church. They're listening to... Uh, Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow or uh, some guy on the internet who tells them that the church is being infiltrated by the boogeyman. And, and that's how most Catholics get their information about Catholic social teaching. So what this book does is it says, let's take all of that stuff that we get from our culture. Let's take all of that stuff that we get from the media and from social media uh, and from the movies and, and from our favorite musicians and whoever, bracket all of that, and let's just sit down with the church's teaching as the church expresses it to us and, and, and listen to it. So it's written, it's, it's a very simply written book. It's a book that anybody can pick up and read. Uh, I literally, I know uh, that there are school systems now that are using this in high school. So you you know you don't have to be uh, you don't have to have a degree in theology to read this book. It's it really is written for anybody. And what the book does is it sits down and it takes us through the implications of the four pillars of Catholic social teaching. Those four pillars are one, the dignity of the human person; two, the common good; three, a three-dollar word called subsidiarity, which we'll talk about in a second, and another $3 word called solidarity. Understand those four pillars of Catholic social teaching, and you pretty much got it. And the thing is, is you already do. You already know a lot of this. So the dignity of the human person, you know this. You know if you've read the book of Genesis or you've heard the book of Genesis spoken of at all, you know that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And that's where their dignity comes from. Their dignity does not come from what they can do. It doesn't come from how smart they are. It doesn't come from whether they're Christian or not. Somebody once asked a, uh, uh, a medical worker in Africa, a Catholic medical worker in Africa, 
she was treating Ebola victims and she was being interviewed uh, on the radio or wherever. And they asked her, they said, you're, you're a Catholic medical worker, right? She said, yeah. And they said, but you're treating Muslims and animists and atheists. And she said, this is absolute Catholic orthodoxy. She said, I don't treat people because they're Christian. I treat people because I'm Christian. That well, is that is straight out of the church's teaching that says that amen. our dignity proceeds from the fact of what we are, not from what we can do, not from how smart we are, not from whether we're straight or gay, not from... Uh, any uh, attribute that we have other than the fact that we're human. That's what the dignity of the human person is all about, and that is why the church teaches and has always taught that human beings are sacred from conception to natural death. Um, yeah. So that's the first pillar. And you, if you get that, you've got the first pillar of Catholic social teaching. The next pillar of Catholic social teaching, and this is where our politics comes in and messes mm -hmm. everything up, the next pillar of Catholic social teaching is the common good, which many American Catholics have been taught to hear as socialism. This is so, you're talking about the common good. That's communism. No, it's not. Here's what the common good means. The common good means that since each person is made in the image and likeness of God, therefore, every person is made in the image and likeness of God. Every person has the rights uh, that pertain to being a human being. Uh, so water is not a privilege. Water is essential to our life as human beings. And so it is absolutely essential for example, that we figure out a way to make sure that every human being gets the water that they need. This is super elementary, right? But even this is controversial because for many people, water is not a fundamental part of what it means to be human. Water is a commodity and therefore something for sale. And if you can't buy it, then tough. Wow. That's not Catholic teaching. Catholic teaching is every person has a right to water. Uh, and every person has a right to, surprise, health care in the Catholic picture of things because you don't just have a right to be born, you have a right to live. Therefore, you need food, you need water, you need health care, you need shelter. These things are what pertain to the common good. And what Catholic teaching calls us to do then is to make sure that each person's human dignity is met. And this is a human dignity that's not minimalist. This is maximalist. You know what the goal of life is for a Catholic? Eternal union with the blessed Trinity and everlasting ecstasy. That's what we're called to as human beings, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so these are, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the dignity of the human person and the common good. And so what you see is that the common good is not at war with the dignity of the human person. It's the extension of the dignity of the human person. Huh. Well, so that brings us then to the next thing, the next pillar of Catholic. So I'm going through this really fast. <laughs> uh, uh, and by the way, this means uh, among other things that the state has a place. Uh, in helping to ensure the common good and human dignity because this confuses a lot of people because when we start talking about subsidiarity uh, subsidiarity is the other thing uh, that tends to be very strongly emphasized uh, on the right in american political discourse along with the dignity of the human sure. person dignity of the human person of course we love that because that's that's what undergirds our conversation about abortion right uh, subsidiarity refers to the fact that human beings are created by god in order to participate in the life and the work of god in the world so the church really loves things to be kept local as close to the problem as possible so you need a loaf of bread what do you do well in 99 percent of the 
of the time when you need a loaf of bread, you go to the store and you buy a loaf of bread using the money that you earned doing whatever it is you do. And there, surprise, you are personally involved in providing uh, the provision of God to your kids uh, and whoever. Uh, but suppose you can't do that because it's pandemic and you lost your job and you don't have any money. Then what? Well, what the church says to do is to go up just one rung first and see if you can't get that problem taken care of by just going up one rung of responsibility. So what do you do? Well, there's a lot of things you could do. You turn to your brother-in-law and say, can I have five bucks so I can go get some bread? Your brother-in-law becomes the agent of provision to the world of the grace of God. He gives us this day our daily bread uh, with his five bucks. Uh, but suppose your brother, you don't have a brother-in-law or there's some other thing. So maybe you go to a food bank, okay? <clears throat> that rung takes care of the problem. Uh, but maybe the food bank can't help you or, or there's some other problem. Maybe you go to the store to buy the loaf of bread and the store owner looks at you and says uh <clears throat> we don't serve your kind here because your name is Moldis. now you got another problem right and so now you have to go up the the a higher rung of authority you need to go in fact to some form of the state and say this person will not serve me because of my ethnicity or my religion or whatever uh, and the state legitimately gets involved at that point because that is the appropriate rung of right. authority that's required and so we keep going up the rungs of authority only if the lower rungs don't work and the all the uh, you know so this is what happened with the passage of the civil rights act eventually um rosa park said i want to ride the front seat of the bus the birmingham bus system said no and eventually that resulted in the entire federal government reconfiguring itself around the dignity of rosa parks wow. and all like her and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about subsidiarity is you you stay as close to the problem locally as you can but at the same time, there are places where it's appropriate for the very highest rungs of power and authority to be involved. So a pandemic, for example, is not something that's going to be solved by one libertarian guy with his chemistry set in his mom's basement. That's not going to happen. Hitler was not stopped by five libertarians getting into a rowboat with their rifles to go storm the beaches at normandy that really does require sometimes state and sometimes global political authorities to get involved uh so that's what subsidiarity is wow. about it's mark, about our participation yeah, yeah go ahead. mark no and and this is where i want to stay with with uh subsidiarity a little bit because in your book you actually refer to not to give too much away in the book but a little little bit here and there you refer to the virgin mary as the model of yes. subsidiarity. Sure. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit, how she is the model for, for this? Subsidiarity means that God wants us to be personal participants in the redemption of the world. That's what subsidiarity is about. And nobody exemplifies that more than the Blessed Virgin Mary, who when God approaches the Blessed Mother, he doesn't send her a form letter saying, to whom it may concern you have been selected out of a lottery of possible candidates. Uh, you know, if you're interested, then please put your name in and our algorithms will examine your profile and we'll see if maybe you fit the bill. That's not how the incarnation happens. What happens is Gabriel goes to Mary personally, addresses her by name, and she personally responds to a divine invitation and says, let it be done unto me according to your word. Not let it be, you know, I, I, I hope that some large federal agency can maybe oversee some kind of redemption project. Here, let me write a check. That's not how the incarnation proceeds. And, <laughs> and the way in which 
the incarnation proceeds is the way in which the faith proceeded out into the world. Uh, the faith proceeded out into the world personally by human beings bringing the graces and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those include not just what we think of as spiritual gifts. So, you know, teaching and verbal things and my ability to play the guitar. I can't play the guitar. But but those things. But it also involves bringing our whole selves. And that means uh, all of, of what we have as well. So the fathers of the church, St. John Chrysostom, for example, will say, devastatingly, he will say to us that uh, the rich exist, he says, for the sake of the poor. Then he goes on and he says, the poor exist for the salvation of the rich. His what? point is that our all of our physical gifts are riches. Everything that we've been given has been given to us for the sake of somebody else. The chosen in the Christian vision are chosen for the sake of the unchosen. What you have is not yours. What you have, you've been given for the sake of somebody else. And if you hold on to it and don't share it, you will be judged for that. And so this is a hugely revolutionary way of seeing things. But, of course, once again, it doesn't contradict the other two pillars. The reason you've been chosen to have a podcast, most people in the world, throughout most of the history of the world, did not have the ability to have a podcast. You have been given this gift. And so now you have a responsibility because the gift that you are giving right now in having this podcast, it's not for you. It's for the sake of every person that's watching and listening to this podcast. And so this is it's the same thing with our money. It's the same thing with our possessions. And it's the same thing with all of our spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12 is a very vital reading uh, for us if we want to understand not just what to do with our you know, gifts of prophecy or uh, uh, you know, healing or those sorts of things, but what we do with the stuff that we have. That's also important. So last point, and then uh, uh, I'll be done. The last pillar of Catholic social teaching is called solidarity. Solidarity emphasizes the fact that our spiritual connection to one another uh, is absolutely crucial that nobody is going to heaven alone. You can't be saved apart from other people. Uh, when you were baptized, you were baptized, yes, in the name of the Blessed Trinity, but you were baptized into the body of Christ. And so we are, as Paul says, members of one another. He doesn't mean members in the sense of members of the Kiwanis Club. He means body parts that when you stub your toe it isn't just your toe that hurts it's your whole body that hurts and so he tells us that uh, uh none of us suffers alone uh none of us rejoices alone we are in union with one another with one another we're connected to one another and that connection connects us all the way to heaven this is why we as catholics believe in the communion of saints. We really believe that our prayers can affect the dead and that the prayers of the dead can really affect us. And our connection begins not simply with our baptism, but with the fact that we all share human DNA. We are, as scripture says, we are one in Adam. As well as, and this is only is underscored when we're baptized, as well as one in Christ. And so we can never say to any other human being, hey, your end of the Titanic is sinking. Too bad for you. I got mine. I'm fine. Uh, that is not possible for us as Catholics to say or do. And so there are, there are a number of things that spring from this, but a couple of things that I think are really important to point out. First of all, libertarianism is wrong. <laughs> the reason libertarianism is wrong is because it mm. emphasizes property rights 
over the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God. The, the church absolutely affirms such a thing as property rights. You can't have a right, commandment. Yeah. yeah, you can't have a commandment against stealing. You can't have the seventh commandment if there's no such thing as property. If there's no such thing as property, there's no such thing as stealing. At the same time, the church has never absolutized property rights. It has never said that my right to the water on my property uh, trumps your rights if you're dying of thirst. Uh, and so one of the things that, that uh, uh, the, again, the, church, the fathers of the church say is uh, they warn again and again, uh, and this, you know, this goes back to John the Baptist saying the same thing. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, you're the thief. Wow. You hear that, Father Pat? Yeah. I guess, <laughs> I guess um, so, uh, Mark, that was very impressive. Like, you know, if, if you haven't already been a guest lecturer in, in many capacities, I can see how those gifts are, are uh you know, best suited for disposal at the church's use. <laughs> I, I suppose one of the difficulties that I I perceive as you, especially as you were outlining for us the idea of subsidiarity, that in that mm -hmm. beautiful uh, St. John Chrysostom uh, quote, you mm -hmm. know, the idea that, um, you know, our, like the poor e exist for the salvation of the you know, rich. Mm -hmm. um, the the problem, or at least some of the pushback that that I know is out there um, that mm -hmm. exists, is that the assistance of the poor has been sufficiently removed from you know uh, the concept of subsidiarity. Like it, it's there's no direct involvement now in taking care of the poor in so many ways in terms of you know ceding that to the the state and and social programs. So okay. that. Is it is it actually benefiting the rich? Is it is it possible, like even in the remote way of you know paying their taxes that go towards those you know social welfare programs? Like, does I, that actually benefit any any? Um, yes, any actually, it does. I want to I want to push back on this for a couple of reasons. Um, so the the first thing is uh, the reality, of, for example, in the United States. Uh, is that blue states support red states. The red states are the ones that are the strongest on uh, 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 we need to, you know, stand up uh, on our own two feet and take care of ourselves and, and all of that. And yet, in fact, uh, it's red states that are far more dependent uh, on social welfare programs. And, and the federal ones are paid for by blue states. They're paid for by very prosperous states. California, for example. But th th there's a bigger difference, and I, I want to make something clear here. So what the church says is that because subsidiarity is crucial, uh, it really is our personal involvement in, ch in personal charity is vital. But the church never pits that against state social safety nets. And the reason for that is this. Uh, let me, I'll put this in very simple terms. So if I'm on a bus and you're sitting next to me and I've got 10 bucks in my pocket and I don't give you 10 bucks, that would be charity. That would be pure gratuitous charity, okay? Is if I give you 10 bucks out of the goodness of my heart just because I like your face or maybe, you know, you look like you're down on your luck or whatever, I'm doing an act of charity to you. This is gratuitous, undeserved help okay but what we tend in our country to do is reserve is is describe all forms of giving as charity uh that's not what the tradition says so to vary the image a little bit if i step off the bus and i find you lying on the ground in a pool of your own blood because you were just beaten up and robbed like the Good Samaritan, for example. Um, if I step over you and walk away, I'm not refusing you charity. What I'm doing is refusing you justice. When the rich man refused to give any help to Lazarus, he was not denying Lazarus charity. He was denying Lazarus justice because justice 
pertains to what we are owed. This is the reason that the rich man goes to hell. You don't go to hell for not giving charity. You go to hell for denying justice. And this is the same reason that the Good Samaritan is commended. Not because he gave charity to the beaten man, but because he gave him justice. He gave him what he was owed. What was the beaten man owed? He was owed his life. We owe one another things in this world because we have been placed in a position of debt to one another by God. So this is, this is the basis of our entire uh, argument against abortion that that baby is owed his life, that to deprive that baby of his life is not to deprive him of charity, it's to deprive him of justice. He is owed his life. Every human being is owed their life, and therefore we owe it to one another to do that justice to them, to give them what they are owed. Now, here's the thing. The state exists, according to the church, to see to it that justice is done, not that charity is done. It is justice for every human being to have access to health care that they need, to not be told, well, you can't pay, so you're just going to have to die. I have a friend right now who is in a hospital in Uganda. Uh, he's, a, he's a native Ugandan. He has typhoid. And the way the hospital system works in Uganda is pay or you're out on the street. And it doesn't matter if you're going to die from typhoid because of that. Too bad. You give us money and we will pay you. That is unjust. And so when the church talks about healthcare as a fundamental right and says that the state has an obligation to see to it that that right is assured, the irony is that right now, while we're talking, one third of all the GoFundMe campaigns that are out there right now, which are purely about individuals doing stuff for one another uh, because the state won't cover them and help them, one-third of GoFundMe campaigns are for some kind of health need. Mm. <laughs> and big. so the problem that we face precisely is not uh, that... There's too much state intervention and not enough uh, personal charity. The problem is we're putting an enormous burden on uh, private individuals and telling them, look, uh, you know, you need to go on GoFundMe. Hopefully your kid with leukemia is cute enough that somebody will care uh, and fund you. And if not, well, you know, you're going to have to uh, sell your house and live in a car under a bridge abutment somewhere because what do you think, we Matt? don't yeah. care. We don't have a system that's that's going to take care of that. I, I and, follow up on that. Um, so hold that's yeah. when we're talking about yeah. uh, uh, charity and justice, it is really important to understand that the state has a real role in ensuring justice. Go ahead, Pat. So I, I hear you and I, and I can definitely, you know, right readily agree with that, especially when, you know, from the mouth of Christ himself, you know, he says things like render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, you know, unto right. God what is God, um, right. to Pilate, you know, you would have no authority over me except that which has been given to you from above, right. you know, so even Jesus definitely upholds, you know, um, the existence of the state, I guess. So, so for point of clarification, and then and then a kind of a separate line of questioning, um, do you contend then that the uh, let's just generally refer to the rich as you know participants in the you know um, the social system, then it it does spiritually benefit them because of their because they exist in a system committed to justice at least in principle. Well, yeah, actually, this brings us to another interesting uh, uh, point about Catholic social teaching that gets almost no press. Um, one of the things that the church discusses uh, in its social doctrine is what are called structures of sin. Uh, this tends to get the stink eye. 
from conservatives who are going, this sounds uh, hinky. But in fact, the idea of structures of sin is perfectly real, perfectly legitimate, and you can actually see it at work, for example, in the New Testament. So when Paul went to Ephesus and began to preach the gospel, one of the things about Ephesus is that Ephesus was the location of one of the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana. And when Paul began to preach the gospel, he aroused the fury not of Diana worshipers over some point of religious doctrine. The fury that he got was from the silversmiths of Ephesus. Why? Because the worship of Diana created an entire socioeconomic structure of sin in Ephesus. Their whole economy was built around selling tchotchkes and trinkets wow. and so forth for the worship of Diana. And so when Paul gets hauled before a screaming mob who want to tear him limb from limb, the ringleaders of that mob were not the priests of Diana. It was the merchants. It was the business guild. They're the ones that were ticked off at wow. him. And so this happens over and over again in throughout human history is we don't just make things, <coughs> you know, works of art or pornography or so forth. We also build huge globe-spanning socioeconomic structures that can do one of two things. They can either make it easier for us to be virtuous or they can make it a lot harder for us to be virtuous. Uh, and these uh, can apply anywhere and all times. So uh, economic systems like ours include things like structures of sin, which say to people in certain income brackets and people in certain racial groups and so forth, yeah, you're not as important. Uh, I think the, the, the current COVID vaccination rate is uh, 5% of the of people of color uh, compared to the rest of us, right, are, are getting vaccinated. Why? Because there's a built-in structure of sin there uh, that makes it harder to get vaccine to that population. And we can see this over and over and over again. Uh, and we get this sometimes, right? So this is why people have boycotts of certain things. Some company is doing something outrageous and wicked. And so people say, I'm not gonna buy from that country, that company. What's happening there? You're attacking a structure of sin. And structures of, of course, structures of sin can be the state itself. Nazi Germany was a structure of sin. Uh, and the United States has its has had its own structures of sin and still does. Right. Uh, is, a, you know, right. any state apparatus can be a structure of sin, but also structures of sin can be destroyed by state apparatus. There was uh, a um, there was a recent conversation where we had, or at least uh, in twenty twenty, with a where a friend of ours, Mike Tenney, actually brought up structures of sin, and we were talking about uh, it was uh, about the it was uh, our panel on racism. Sure. And immigration and stuff. Can you kind of talk about how the immigration part plays a role in maybe structures of sin? Sure. I mean, the, the, the United States was, and there's no getting around this, the United States was founded on slavery. Martin Luther King pointed this out. You know, we we love to tell people it's because of our, you know, business genius and acumen that, you know, we had such a powerful powerhouse economy uh, in the 19th and coming into the 20th century. But of course, the reality is, is that it was built on four centuries, you know, two and a half centuries of absolutely free labor that never got paid you know, and then for another century after the abolition of slavery, we had Jim Crow, which was slavery again. And so, you know, absolutely, there's, you know, you have those kinds of problems. We have uh, problems with racism. You know, it is in my lifetime that it became legal for a white man to bury, marry a black man, marry a black woman if she wanted to, if he wanted to. Uh in my lifetime, we had separate water fountains, and we still have, you know, we just witnessed an administration that was completely 
you know, it, it announced its candidacy by saying, let's all hate the Mexicans. Uh, they're coming here to kill us all, and uh, they're the problem. Uh, and then created a structure of sin uh, whereby it kidnapped children from their parents and said, this is, this is fine. Yeah. This is the way these United States are going to operate. You know, so when the state is doing things like that, that's a structure of sin. But we can also, we can right. also change structures of sin. So how do we do that as church, uh, like as, as lay people, as I mean, we have parish priests here. Like, What can we do to kind of because this isn't talked about. This isn't going to be on the next segment of EWTN. Right. Right. Mark? No, it's I mean, absolutely not going to be on EWTN. Like, what what are we doing? Like, <laughs> what, what can we what can be done? What is being done? Open and, your mouth. <laughs> right. Seriously. But that is where it starts. You start by saying these things are real. This is not something that somebody made up. Um, these things are still happening. They still occur. Uh, they're still part of it. And the, they're still part of the way in which we do life. They're, start of, they're part of the way in which uh, our civilization has been ordered and saying, okay, we got rid of separate water fountains and we elected Obama, so it's all gone away now and it's not a problem, hmm. is not really addressing the fact that this is an ongoing issue. It's an ongoing hmm. issue with pay disparity. It's, and by the way, these things are all pro-life issues. Um, so, 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 so definitely, I, I think I've, and I agree in, in the terms of, uh, that these are pro-life issues, but yeah. we, we talked in our, in our last, we had, um, uh, a friend of ours, uh, destiny from uh new way feminist, oh, yeah. uh, a secular pro-life group. Yeah. And she came on and we talked about <laughs> how, how things at the border and, and things and how some people have siphoned off that pro-life issues just pertain to the unborn. Oh, like the I'm so glad you mentioned this. Right. And then that the immigration issue isn't a pro-life issue. It is know. absolutely a pro-life issue. And the here's the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he says people have all kinds of different spiritual gifts. Can the eye say to the hand, I do not need you? Can the foot say to the heart, I don't need you? No, he says that's ridiculous because we're all one body. This takes us back to, notably, uh, uh, solidarity. So here's the thing. At no point in Paul's discussion of the variety of gifts and callings and missions and ministries in the body does Paul ever affirm the idea that you can say there is one gift, one mission that uh not only is more important than all the rest, but actually cancels all the rest and you and and gives you the authority to fight against all the other things that uh, the Holy Spirit is doing through other missions and gifts and ministries. This is exactly what that argument is attempting to do. The attempt to say that abortion is the only thing that really matters and trumps the fact that we need to pay attention to a living wage for families uh, is, is not merely not part of Catholic tradition. It is contrary to Catholic sure. tradition yeah. because what you wind up with and what we have in fact wound up with in this country are people who are saying, uh, why should I care uh, about children being kidnapped at the border? Why should I care about uh, our, did you know that the United States has the largest prison population of any country in the yep. world yeah okay when we're talking about a country the land of the free that has a larger gulag than stalin that has a larger prison system than communist china and is making the argument that as long as abortion is happening anywhere on planet earth i don't have to care about that at all in fact I want to fight for an even larger prison population. I want to fight the church on capital punishment so that we kill more people. Mm. You're not that's talking about being pro-life. What you're really talking about is using the unborn as human shields for evils that you want to commit contrary to the tradition. Yeah.
Yeah. And, I, well, and I think, and I think we're definitely on the five minute mark here. So I want to give it some, okay. some parting shots. So quick hitters, Mark, if we could, some yeah. quick hitters here. I think we got a lot in, but I'm trying to see it. Cause I, I'm not, I'm vibing with a lot of it. Some of it's like a challenge, but I think yeah. also Pat might have something here. I'm pitching to you, Pat. What do you, what are you thinking here? Parting shots. Well, for, for my parting shot, I would definitely, I would push back on like, do you think that there is like a proportionality argument to be made in terms of like more egregious offenses against sure. uh, against justice and, and life in terms of like numbers of, you know, uh, numbers of, of, of victims, right? Like, you know, while, while I'm picking up and I, I clearly per- perceive that you, you believe that we can walk, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, we can right. have a consistent life ethic without like depriving any one principle of right. this place. That's definitely something that I would agree with. Right. But I think at the same time, like there's, there's a, there's a, a certain perspective to be held in terms of like how, how many people are affected by uh, an institution. Like it, mm. it wouldn't be, it, I, I don't think it would be untoward to point out the fact that, uh, you know, however many millions of people exist in poverty, you know, doesn't um, kind of far, far, you know, outshines um, the number of people on death row. While they're both like, you can never say that any of those people are deprived of their human dignity because of like the category that they fall into. Mm. It does, kind of, it does kind of like, you know, encourage us like to, um, I, I once, I once heard somebody describe it as like, you deal with your problems in the order in which they're, they're killing you, you know, and if sure. that's, that's true, of the social uh, fabric, you know, um, which, right. which qualities of like our broken, unjust state are killing us fastest? Uh, sure, and I get that. Quick hitters, my, quick point, hitters. Yep. Yeah, my my point is simply that uh, if death row, if the population on death row is not that big, uh, then why put any energy at all into killing more of them? my point is really be pro-life if your thing is opposing abortion then oppose abortion but don't tell me you're opposing abortion when really your energy is going into fighting a minimum wage uh killing as many people on death row as possible uh trying to make sure that we don't have universal health care none of that is going to save a single child and in fact is probably going to kill more unborn babies because poor people have more abortions because they can't afford them and so that's my point is, look, be pro-life, be as pro-life, be more pro-life, oppose abortion. Yes. But don't waste your time telling me that death row is a great thing. Then uh, that's not helping abortion at all. What do, you, what do you say, Pat, as we as we finish it up here? But no, I, I mean, I agree. I, I look at it as this, too. I, I, I'm like, you know what? Yes, we're going to be pro-life, but we also have to attack the systems that lead us to killing the unborn and if these systems look like systematic racism if they look like these infrastructures these structures of sin like we got to topple these down exactly exactly the the key is to oppose not merely demand or supply of abortion but demand for abortion to make it why do people want abortions go after that you know don't just spend all of your time wishing that roe v wade is going to go away because it's not that's not going to happen what do you think? What do you think, Pat? We gotta, well, we gotta, I, we gotta land this puppy. We gotta land this plane here. There's so I got, much. <laughs> I think we still gotta pray that the undoing of that structure of sin will be will be ended. I mean, I sure. don't, I, I don't believe that uh, it's so hopeless or so impossible to think that maybe maybe the country does have a reckoning the way that it did. You know, in the civil rights movement, come to realize that like, okay, through through the prophets of of that time, you know, we heeded wisdom and and learned. And then acted upon, you know, the injustice that that was Jim Crow and segregation. So I I do I do believe, and I have hope that like someday we might, you know, uh, have that kind of an awakening and see that. It, I hope it, for it too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. folks. Thanks so much. This is the book, a primer on Catholic social teaching, the church's best kept secret. Why? And then one more time, thirty seconds. Why should we get this? I'm going to send this out to, to a lucky commenter or, or viewer, but also why? Like, why is it the church best kept secret nowadays, man? Why is it still a secret, Mark? 
It's a secret because we don't think with the church, we think with the categories of the world. If you want to learn how to think with the church, to think with the mind of Christ, uh, the church's best kept secret is uh, a guide that will help you do that. Awesome, 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 awesome. Father right. Pat, anything as you as you lead us home, we're gonna we're gonna close in prayer because we gotta pray for the opportunity to end these puppies and to and to stop things and to and to start being in communion and to to live in the church, man. It's hard stuff. Go ahead, Father. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll bless us and we'll we'll take it out. Um, fantastic uh, way of putting it there that that we want to think with the mind of Christ. And, and think not not as the world does. That's I guess in some ways <laughs> the lifetime lifetime difficulty and really the historical challenge of the church in America. I don't know I don't know that we've uh, yeah that, that that we've fully comprehended how much work we have left to do there. But um, thanks be to God for this conversation and uh, may the Lord watch over us as we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Mark, you've been great. Mark P. Shea, and this is the book. Let us know what you thought about this conversation. Hit us up in the comment section. And then, Mark, Mark, where can we find you? Where can we uh, connect with you and follow you? Uh, come to my blog, markpshea.com. And uh, yeah, you can find, uh, I have a blog entry there every day and you can uh, find all my stuff and and you can talk to me there. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. You've been rocking with the best, the Holy Ruckus Podcast. Watch this episode again, share it, and you can always listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, and the Spotify. See you later, guys. All right.